0: Father, what a joy it's been to worship and now to continue worship as we hear Your Word to us. And so we pray as the psalmist prayed, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in Your Word. We pray as Moses prayed, O Lord, show me Your glory. And we pray as those unknown men approached the disciples and asked, we would see Jesus. Lord, these are our prayers this morning. And we look forward in anticipation to what you will do as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you begin to read the New Testament, it starts out with an explosive bang. Matthew chapter one describes the miraculous conception of a young virgin girl, an angelic Visitation and then the birth of Jesus Christ. And then chapter two, the visitation of the Magi who are the kingmakers of the ancient world and they have come traveling to worship Christ. Chapter three records the powerful ministry of John the Baptist, the prophet who prepares the way for Christ. Jesus is baptized, the Father declares His approval from heaven, and the Spirit descends upon Jesus, anointing and empowering Him for ministry. Chapter 4, Satan brings the full force of his temptation against Jesus, and Christ emerges victorious. And then Jesus begins His ministry, healing every disease, casting out demons and most importantly, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Chapter 5 begins the first sermon recorded in the New Testament, which has as its theme the way to enter into the kingdom of heaven and how to live as citizens of that kingdom. And at its conclusion in chapter 7, the people are amazed at Christ's teaching. Chapter 8, Jesus heals leprosy, calms a storm, casts out demons out of violent men. What an astounding way to begin the New Testament. But then something changes. As Jesus' ministry continues, you begin to see problems emerging. Chapter, chapter 9, the leaders of Israel reject Christ. And not only do they reject Him, but they see Him as a threat to their religious system and their power. They can't ignore Him, so they begin to oppose Him. Unable to deny His miraculous power, what do they do? They say that Satan himself is giving Jesus this power. In chapter 10, as Christ sends the apostles out, He tells them that they too will be hated and opposed, and there will be such opposition and division that even family members will betray one another to death. And then chapter 11, John the Baptist, the great forerunner, that great prophet who came to announce Christ, he is imprisoned, and he begins to have doubts. He wonders if Christ really is the Messiah. Then chapter 12, there is more conflict and opposition with the religious leaders and they begin conspiring how they might destroy Jesus. So think about all of this from the disciples' perspective. Wait! Wait! What is going on? This isn't the way that it was supposed to be. The king was supposed to come and establish His kingdom, and anyone opposing Him would be obliterated. So, what is happening? What kind of kingdom is this? Maybe you've had similar questions as well. When you first came to faith in Christ, you were thrilled that He delivered you from your sin, and gave you, by grace through faith, a right relationship With God your life was filled with joy you were excited to share this miracle to speak of Christ with your family and friends there was a wonderful hopefulness to your life but then discouragement sets in when your family and friends weren't interested in Christ and then bad things happen in your life and and you wonder why As you look around you at the world, it seems that evil is overcoming goodness, not the other way around. It seems that the kingdom of darkness is triumphing over the kingdom of God. Why? What is happening? What is God's purpose in all of this? So as if to answer these questions, Christ teaches In Matthew 13, a series of parables explaining the kingdom of heaven. You're probably familiar with the first parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Christ uses that to teach that there will be very different responses to the word of God. The gospel won't be received by all but there will be some who receive it and bear good fruit. You're probably familiar with the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares, beginning in verse 24. The point of that parable is that just like this type of weed, which is called a tear, can hardly be distinguished from wheat, so Satan will try to deceive and subvert the church of Christ by mixing in his children with the children of God. But you might not understand the next two parables that Jesus gives. These are two fascinating teachings that actually complement and reinforce each other. And they're given to help the disciples And you and me to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. What God is doing when it seems like the kingdom of Satan is overcoming the kingdom of God. Look with me at verse 31. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. (laughs) What is Jesus saying here? What is his point? Well, it's actually not too difficult to understand. And in both parables, he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. What's the comparison? We don't have to guess. He tells us in verse 32, they are both very small, just a very small seed and a very small amount of leaven. And what happens to those tiny things? This small seed becomes a plant larger than any other garden plant and this small amount of leaven permeates the entire three pecks of flour which is about 50 pounds of flour so the point of the parable is that the kingdom of heaven starts out small like a mustard seed but has amazing growth It starts out small, like a little bit of leaven in that huge amount of flour, but it has a very powerful impact. Let's start with the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed was commonly used in ancient times to represent something very, very small. Christ speaks of having faith the size of what? A mustard seed, right? His point is that even a little faith, if it's in the Lord, can actually move mountains. Why? Well, certainly not because of the greatness of your faith, but it's because your small faith is in a very great and mighty God. All it takes is a small faith in Christ for you to be forgiven of all your sins, to be adopted as God's child, and along with that to receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. All it takes is that small mustard seed faith to change your life for eternity, forever. So here in this parable, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a very small mustard seed that grows in a tremendous way. That plant can actually grow to be 15 feet tall, a tremendous height for such a tiny seed. And this is what Jesus is saying. The wonder of something so small growing to become something huge that birds can actually build their nests in it. So the point of Jesus' teaching is that the growth of His kingdom starts out very small and grows bigger and bigger. And that's exactly what you see in the New Testament. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 1... The kingdom of heaven starts out very small, just a little baby born in a stable to two obscure parents in an insignificant region of the Roman Empire. That's the beginning of the kingdom of heaven, very, very tiny. And then the apostles are added, men who were very ordinary, very unqualified, very fearful, very weak. And by the time of the resurrection and ascension of Christ, the kingdom has grown a little more. In Acts 1, how many believers were gathered in Jerusalem for that first church? Do you remember? 120. That's not that impressive. But it keeps growing. Acts 2, about 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost. And verse 47 says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pretty soon the kingdom spreads past Jerusalem, past Judea, past Samaria. And by the time the New Testament is completed, the kingdom has spread throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. We need to remember that. Because there are so many things in our world that just don't make the headlines. So many things that we don't think about. So many ways that God is at work throughout the world. For example, do you know how many Christians are in communist China? Over 50 million. It took seven years for the church in Jerusalem to plant one church in Antioch. And guess how many new churches are started around the world? Over 200 a month? A week? No, 200 a day. That's 78,000 a year. It's been estimated that about 65,000 people profess to give their lives to Christ every day somewhere in the world. So many things that you and I just don't see. Countless lives that continue to be rescued and brought into God's kingdom. So in spite of its very small start, in spite of rejection and great opposition, Christ's kingdom will grow and it will flourish and it will increase in influence and power until what? Until the king returns and brings it to fulfillment, and His kingdom will cover the entire earth. As Revelation 11, the chapter that we read this morning, says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. What an astounding, unshakable hope. This is the hope that is yours in Christ. Well, this explains the mystery of the kingdom from the outward aspect. The next parable views the kingdom not from the perspective of external growth, but rather from the perspective of internal influence. Jesus uses another scene that's very familiar to his people in his day, making bread. As I mentioned, uh, using about 50 pounds of flour, and that would be enough to easily feed about 100 people, and maybe less if you've got teenage boys. Right, Mom? So what Jesus is saying is that in this typical scene, a woman would take this large amount of flour and mix it with Water, add some leaven, or we might say in our day, some sourdough starter, and make the bread. Now, that's what leaven is. It's just a small piece of fermented sourdough that's placed in the flour and water, and it permeates it, and it causes the bread to rise in our home uh, we make sourdough bread all the time. It's great. It's so delicious. Unleavened bread is is flat. It's dry. Leavened bread is soft and it's warm and it's tangy. In fact, this is interesting. At the wedding of a Jewish girl, her mother would give her some leaven that she used in her very own home. And this simple gift was cherished because it represented The love and blessing of the home in which she grew up and was now going to her own home as it was beginning. Now, in Scripture, leaven simply represents influence. And depending upon the contrast, that can be a negative influence or a positive influence. Jesus says here that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is not negative, so leaven here can't be negative. In this parable, leaven is positive, speaking of the internal influence of the kingdom. Just as leaven permeates that bread dough, so Christ will permeate the world. Like the mustard seed, it is little just like a a little piece of leaven in contrast to that massive 50 pounds of bread flour. But just like the mustard seed, there is incredible power in that very little piece. Power that will influence the entire amount of dough. So the kingdom of heaven isn't just about addition, it's also about transformation You see, leaven isn't just added to the dough. No, it transforms the dough. And just like the leaven is hidden in the dough, so Christ is now hidden in the world. Romans 8 speaks that the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Right now, you and I are hidden. Think about it. There you are at In-N-Out, eating your hamburger, just like everyone around you, and you don't look any different, right? There's nothing special to see about you and me from an outward appearance. It's not evident that you are a child of God. There's no halo above your head. There's no radiant glow that's emanating from you. The world has no clue that you are an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. It's not possible to see because God's children, as Scripture says, have not been revealed to the world. But though it's not visibly apparent, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are an ambassador of Christ and His power is at work in you. And the Lord will use you to impact this world through your testimony, through the fruit of His Spirit in your life. This is God's plan. The growth of His kingdom is imperceptible, but that growth is powerful. God's kingdom is not advanced through politics. It doesn't come through legislation. It doesn't come through societal progress. No, it comes by God transforming lives. It works from the inside. And that's very good to remember. Do you know why? Because just like you, I can become pretty discouraged as I see what's going on around the world. As I look at what's going on in our own country. This isn't the same country that I grew up in. As I see what's happening in schools. In our government. It's very, very discouraging. Every day the news is filled with sin and wickedness. And it can be so disheartening, can it? It seems like this world is, is going crazy. It can seem like evil is winning the battle. And it can be tempting to think that. Well, maybe what we really need is to get the right people elected to office. And then with the right people in power and the right laws that are passed and the right appointments for judges, well, things will finally start changing. And I'm all for that. That's great. But you know what? The kingdom of God does not depend on any of that. No, God's kingdom is dependent on what? On God Himself. God's kingdom is going to be accomplished no matter what the opposition. This is the confidence that you have. Christ is king and his kingdom, make no mistake, his kingdom purposes are being accomplished. It's happening in your life and it's happening in this world. There are so many blessings that God has brought through His people, blessings even to unbelievers. Most people don't realize the fullness of the blessings that Christ and His kingdom have given this world. For example, consider hospitals. We take them for granted today, as if they've always been around. But study history and you will see that they haven't. In the Roman Empire, there were only a few, very few places for medical care existing only for a select elite, soldiers and gladiators and slaves that were considered very useful. The common people, the poor, had no place for medical care that they needed. But the love and the compassion of Christ changed that. In 325, the Council of Nicaea instructed pastors to start a hospital in every cathedral city to treat everyone in need. Here's another question. Who established colleges and universities? Christians did. Here's another fact. In a world where immorality and perversion abounds, Christianity upheld the purity of marriage, bringing goodness and blessings to children and families and society and here's yet another blessing in a world where life is cheap where women were used and despised where children were discarded christianity restored the divine value placed on human life christianity has blessed this world in so many other ways through government through law through civil liberties through science through art through music and humanitarian care, and on and on and on it goes. And when you, as a believer, walk with Christ, this will be true of your life as well. Your life will be a blessing to those around you. You will be the grace of Christ to others. Your life will bring goodness and wisdom and encouragement and hope and truth to others who need that. Just like leaven, God is at work. God's kingdom is advancing imperceptibly, but steadily and powerfully. His love and His purpose will prevail. There is blessing in this life, but listen, that is only a very small foretaste of the fullness of glory that you will experience, the unimaginable joy and wonder and love of Christ throughout eternity. So these two parables are very important reminders to us of the right perspective of God's kingdom that you need to have until the king returns. It's so easy to look at what's not going right and become unsettled, become discouraged, even distressed. Yes, there are a whole lot of bad things that have happened and they keep happening. But do you see in this world and around you in your own life the good things that God is doing? Do you see All the positive, all the blessings that He has brought into your life. Why? So that you can just contain that? No, so that that will overflow. David said, my cup overflows. That is God's desire for your life. That His blessings would fill your life to overflowing. So that it blesses others. Ask the Lord for eyes to see beyond The surface. His specialty is to work something very good in bad circumstances. You are here in this world for such a time as this. And you know what the best example in all of history is of that? It's the cross of Christ, isn't it? That was the greatest injustice of all. The most heinous cruelty in all history murdering the one who brought truth and love and healing and grace to all but God worked his greatest good through that greatest evil bringing forgiveness and new life to all who trust Christ as Lord and Savior and if you receive God's forgiveness and new life you Two, can say what Scripture says. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Your life can be that testimony of God bringing something very good out of something that was damaged, something that was ruined, something that was lost. So, let not your heart be troubled, troubled. Be encouraged. The Lord is at work in this world. He is at work in your life. It might seem to others, maybe even to you yourself, that yours is a a rather ordinary, insignificant life. But listen, don't be fooled. Just like that little mustard seed, just like that little bit of leaven, God's power is surely and steadily at work in your life. His love will prevail. His purpose is being accomplished. That is the hope that you have in Christ. Ask Him to open up your eyes even more to see what He is doing in your life and in this world, to see what He wants to do through your life. And you live your life with this perspective. Let His Word guide you. He will use you to bring His truth and grace to this very dark and broken world. To be His influence and His blessing to others. Let's pray together. Oh Father, thank You for this wonderful truth from Your Word. Thank You that Your good purpose will prevail. How wonderful to see our own lives transformed by your love. And how thrilling it is to be a part of your great master plan for this world. Thank you for the ways that you are at work in our lives and in the world. All the ways that we can see and all the ways that we can't see. Help us to... Continue to believe your promise that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, how we look forward to that day. And until then, may you strengthen our faith. May you encourage and empower us to live lives of love and joy and courage and faithfulness for Christ and for his kingdom. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.